Hi, I'm Tom Power. Welcome to Toy Heart, a podcast about bluegrass. This is the last episode of season two here from Nashville is my conversation with Allison Krauss. I remember, you know, the first time I looked out in the audience and saw people singing words to our songs that only we had recorded. That was just a really crazy moment. Just never thought it would end up being there. Never thought we'd hear back from Rounder. Yeah. Never thought we would hear from Rounder in the first place. If this is your first time listening, you can hear full interviews with Jerry Douglas, Allison Brown, Bela Fleck, Larry Sparks, Jody Stecker, and so many more wherever you get your podcast. Thank you so much for listening. Later on. Well, hi, and welcome to Basic Folk, where we have honest conversations with folk musicians on the Bluegrass Situation Podcast Network. It's me, Cindy Howes, the host of this podcast that you are listening to right meow. Okay, before we get into Elise Levy, let's talk about a couple things, okay? Uh, First of all, would you like to sign up for our mailing list? Have you signed up for it? It is fun and easy and cool and nice. There's a link in the show notes that you can sign up at, or you can go to basicfolk.com and click the red sign up for the newsletter button. We are on social media, Facebook, Instagram, and TikTok at Basic Folk Pod. We're also listener supported if you just gave to the fundraiser. Thank you so much. We wrapped up at the end of the year. It allows us to do what we do. Honestly, everything that you hear is made possible with listener support. If you uh, have not contributed or have lapsed or what have you, you can always check out the link in the show notes or go to our website, basicfolk.com, and make your contribution. And thanks. Okay, let's talk about Elise Levy. We're going to be diving into the enchanting world of Elise Levy, a musician hailing from picturesque Monterey, California, Through her latest album, A Little Longer, Elise's artistic journey is steeped in the influence of her magical surroundings and a childhood filled with music, thanks to her mom's painting and stepdad's musical talents. Growing up with a deep appreciation for nature and a belief in fairies, Elise shares how these elements shaped her musical perspective. As we explore Elise's musical evolution, we touch on her experiences with live performances, overcoming stage fright, and the art of songwriting. Her unique approach to music, stemming from a background rich in magical thinking, reflects in her exploration of various musical instruments, from accordion to guitar, piano, fiddle, and more. We also uncover the impact of her time at summer camps, fostering a sense of community that continues to shape her artistic expression. The episode delves into the intriguing intersection of Elisa's musical journey and homeschooling, highlighting the unconventional path she took to prioritize her love for music. She left public school in eighth grade to focus on music and worked her schedule around attending music camps. She would go on to study at the New England Conservatory of Music in Boston, live briefly in New York, and after several years in Nashville, she has recently found herself living in Lafayette, Louisiana. The songs on her new album, A Little Longer, were mostly written while she lived in Boston and New York. Elise also opens up about her connection to music, magical creatures, and the harmonious blend of romance in her musical creations. 
Suffice to say, we get along famously. We're going to take a listen to a song from her new album. It's I Have Been Trying, and then we'll get to our conversation with Elise Levy on Basic Folk. Elise Levy, thank you for talking to me on Basic Folk, Nina DeVitri's friend from the mall. <laughs> Thanks for having me. I'm glad to be here. As our little inside joke um, that is only funny to, maybe it's only funny to me and Nina. <laughs> no, I, yeah. I'll include myself in that. Okay, great. <laughs> okay, let's get into it. I'm excited to talk to you. You grew up in a beautiful place, at least in my opinion, it's very beautiful, Monterey, California. It's like picturesque, surrounded by mountains and oceans. Mm -hmm. What was your experience with the nature surroundings that you had growing up and what is that connection like today? Great question. Um, I have always been, there's a lot of, I mean, there's obviously the coast, right there and it's also right kind of in the hills so there was always I mean you kind of take it for granted as a kid that these things exist and like that you live on the hills in the forest and also by the sea but since I've moved away I've realized that actually having access to all of that at once is a much less usual than I thought it was <laughs> and I uh, I always felt more connected to the uh, coast itself, like the sea, than I did to the forest. But I would say, especially in my adult life, and I would say also, I don't know if this has to do with where I grew up, but I had a lot of um, like deep beliefs in magical creatures like fairies and I'm not sure if that was specific to the forest there, but I really still feel the presence of those uh, creatures that I loved as a kid. Oh, wow. Yeah. That's cool. Which I've been thinking about lately. That actually tracks just like the quotes that I've read. Um, you haven't like specifically talked about like magical creatures or fairies, <laughs> but you just have this kind of like magical way of speaking. So I'm like, okay, that really makes sense uh -huh. you're like a fairy kid and it's like fairy f-a-e-r-i-e -E, right oh yeah yeah okay <laughs> um we used to build which now i'm like oh everybody didn't do this we used to build fairy houses as children that was like what we spent most of our free time doing me and my stepsister and we would collect these old tiles that were from there had once been a pool in our backyard and there were all these tiles kind of scattered around and we'd get shells from the beach and we'd like build our structures and we would argue about whether whether the little like hats that go on top of acorns were big enough to be boats 
or if they had to be like like ha- actual hats, depending on the size of the fairy, obviously. This is a serious debate. Yeah, it was a really, we seriously debated it. My sister had different ideas about how big the fairies were. And we which, would argue. Which side were you on, to clarify? I'm pretty sure I was on the side of them being smaller and that they could fit inside the acorn hats and use them as boats. Okay. And my sister was right. like, no, you don't understand. They're They're too big for that. Okay. All right. Well, this is this is good intel. All right. So art seems like it was everywhere when you were a kid. Your mom is a painter. Your stepdad is a musician. Mm-hmm. How do you think the way art and music were treated in your house has impacted your appreciation for art? Oh, my God. I mean, I can't imagine who I would be if I didn't have if one of my parents wasn't an artist. I feel like even putting my stepdad aside, who was obviously a huge influence being a musician, but my even just my mom being a painter and being somebody that loved music, like, and had kind of an artistic mind and an artistic way of thinking about um, working. And I think that, I mean, she was also the person that, like, kind of led me to believe in fairies and she was very kind of magically minded and I mean I just can't even imagine I don't know what it would have been like to not have an artistic parent I highly doubt I would be in the place that I am now right I still have her paintings like hanging around my room and oh awesome yeah she used to she would take me to her painting jobs sometimes when she was painting she did a lot of painting people's houses Mm. which was not her favorite but Mm. she she once painted the outside of our house that we were renting she painted this big amazing beautiful bird on the wall and sadly uh one of the people that owned the house happened to come by and said she had to paint over it Uh. it was really kind of tragic but oh well man um it's really cool that your mom was like a professional artist and I'm wondering even though she is a painter and like a different kind of artist than you are like can you see the through lines between her work and your work like how has your mom's artwork inspired your artistry that's a really good question and hard to answer I don't know I feel like something I've noticed recently my dad is really kind of the opposite um realm of things he's an investment manager and he's very like uh into money and my mom was always very kind of like not in like a dangerous place financially but not with extra money and kind of just making enough with making her art to get by and make sure i was getting by and I think that has had a much bigger influence on me than I realized. I just am realizing recently Mm. that being able to see like that as a way of living as opposed to like had I only been able to see the kind of like go into a successful finance business and make a fair amount of money with it lifestyle. I'm not sure I would have chosen to be a musician if there wasn't an example of what being an artist looked like. Yeah. 
Totally. You probably would be like, I need three months of my salary and, and you know, contributing to my 401k and my Roth IRA and all that. Yeah, you know, exactly. Yeah. People can get real tied up in that stuff. It's true. Um, can you set the scene for music in your early life in terms of like what was grabbing you and who was bringing you the good stuff? Like in my childhood? Yeah. I would say, I mean... Both of my parents were listening to the music that I still listen to now. Like my all my favorite music was music that they were listening to. And that I feel really lucky that they happened to listen to music that I still think like this much further along in my music career is still my favorite. Um, my stepdad showed up when I was five and... I play accordion. My accordion was my first like real instrument that I took lessons on. And he used to invite me to come sing harmonies and play accordion on his gigs when I was still a kid and uh, helped me write my first song and uh, made a backing track for it so I could perform it at the talent show <laughs> in third grade. <laughs> <laughs> so I feel like that, uh, that had a massive influence. And he also played in a California Zydeco band, which it's interesting to think now, like I live in the place where Zydeco music comes from in Louisiana. Mm -hmm. And like probably the first band I ever sat in with was that band. So it's interesting that like all these years later, I Zydeco is like my favorite. It's my favorite to dance to and uh, go see here in Louisiana. That's cool. But I think that, I mean, my mom also just listened to a crazy array of music like Simon and Garfunkel and the Beatles and also like Indian classical music. And Indian classical music had a huge, strangely huge influence on me. Oh, yeah. Can you talk a little bit more about that? Yeah. I mean, it's my mom's sister married somebody from India and my mom went to their wedding before I was born and completely fell in love with India and the music and the culture. And I don't think she ever went back, but she stayed quite a while after the wedding. She didn't come back to the U.S. for a mm. bit. And when I was growing up, she had a couple records, one in particular this guy Jagjit Singh that it's I'm not I don't think it's really quite classical it's kind of a more pop realm but I think maybe he studied classical music and I could be wrong about that but mm. it truly is like a part of me I've listened to that record probably a hundred times I don't know maybe more sometimes I just put it on when I'm feeling anything and need to stop doing things and close my eyes. What is the name of the record again? It's called Face to Face. Face to Face. Cool. All right. I have a couple questions about the first song that you wrote. Mm -hmm. Okay. You were seven years old and you were trying to learn for Elise on the piano. Yeah. And you said, instead of playing it correctly, I came up with something new Okay. So your stepdad helped you write it, and then I guess he also did a backing track. That's awesome. 
You played it at the talent show with mm-hmm. backup dancers. I did. Um, so here here are, are my questions. I have two questions about this, one at a time, though. So the song, it sounds like, came out of exploration and curiosity. Like, you were making mistakes in the song you were trying to learn, uh-huh. and you ended up with something else, which is really interesting to me. So how do those traits still exist in your writing? Mm. That's a really good question. I That's a great. Let me think for a second. How do those traits still exist? How do I write songs again? <laughs> you know, I do it all the time. Uh I mean, I would say when I end up writing a song, it's often not a time that I'm sitting down to write a song. It's a time that I just have this feeling like, "Oh, I need to play music right now." And I pick up a guitar and play something and like something catches me and I go "Ooh, like I need to make a recording of that and it's very like it is very like driven from curiosity like Ooh, what's gonna like come out of this funny little zone that I just created I think it's pretty it's weirdly pretty similar to how I wrote my first song except that I'm usually not trying to play Fury release <laughs> yeah I just feel like a lot of people in that situation would be like, ding, 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 duh, damn it, ding, ding, and then just keep trying to play right. the song and sort of like ignoring the fact that like some other cool stuff is happening. But mm-hmm. it's, it's a cool, it's a cool uh, artist brain that goes for the exploring. Um, here's my other question about that: the backup dancers. you had them up there because you had some stage fright and you thought power in numbers i'm gonna have these two dancers up here Mm -hmm. dancing along with you for some company which is like brilliant as a seven-year-old to think of that what has been your relationship to uh live performance and being on stage since then Mm. uh i have actually been thinking about this I I started playing my songs for people when I was in college, when I was 17, maybe, or 18. So 10 years later, <laughs> uh, after I wrote my first song. Um, and I, I don't remember how, like, whether I felt comfortable on stage at first performing by myself. I'm sure it was a growing period but it didn't take very long for me to feel pretty at ease playing by myself and talking about my songs and it it has always been pretty natural and more natural than being in social situations I would say Hmm. and I've noticed recently playing with a band I have I like totally forget how to talk on stage like I don't want to say anything between the songs. Normally, I talk quite a lot between songs about the stories of the songs and that kind of thing. And when there's a band on stage, for some reason, it's like I go into this other zone and I just want to play the music and I don't want to talk. And oh, wow. It's a very weird, like, it's interesting because that first time I performed, I was so scared to be on stage by myself that I had people just stand behind me and dance with umbrellas and now it's like 
I don't know if it's like a comfort zone, like, oh, there's other people here. Like, I don't have to, I don't know, engage with the audience because there's other people on stage. But it actually, like, I don't know that it's a good thing to not feel mm-hmm. like talking <laughs> to the audience. I think that's just an, it's a really odd switch in my brain. Mm. You play a lot of instruments. Um, let me see if I can name at least most of them. Accordion, <laughs> which you said was your first one. Also, my dad plays accordion, so that's great. Maybe you guys can meet one day. And I hope accordion so. Together. Yeah. <laughs> um, you play several different types of guitars, piano, fiddle, mandolin. Anything else significant that we're missing on that list? Uh, I don't think anything significant. I used to play cello. Oh, right on. Yeah. <laughs> Very sophisticated. <laughs> How do you think playing so many instruments impacts your writing? Um, I think, if anything, it's really helpful uh, for that curious part of me. Sometimes if I'm feeling blocked in writing, if I pick up a different instrument, it kind of opens the gate that felt like I couldn't get through it with guitar. Mm. It's a very useful tool for those moments. Yeah. I think that's that's the biggest effect it has on my writing. I can't remember um, who I was talking to on the podcast. It might have been Tim O'Brien or somebody like Tim O'Brien that was talking about like learning a new instrument gives you the chance to like be a beginner again. Mm. And like that's like a, a really cool feeling. Not for me. I hate I hate being a beginner. I just like want to know how to do it. I got to hate being a beginner too. But I feel like I well I really hate being bad at things. And I suppose being a beginner tends to mean not being very good at it. So, yeah, let's only do things we're good at, Elise. <laughs> it's not a very I was just talking to somebody about this. It's not like a great way to go through life to really hate being bad at things because it doesn't leave a lot of space for learning. But uh, it's probably good that I'm starting to admit how much I don't like it because that's usually the first step. That's the first step. (laughs) So out of all these instruments that you play, which instrument do you feel the most connection with? Uh, Probably guitar these days. I think it feels... I mean, I guess singing would be the first, my first instrument and the one I've always felt most connected to. Oh, yeah. I forget that counts. We have to listen Mm -hmm. to that. Yeah, come on. (laughs) Yeah. Shame on me for not listing your singing voice. That's okay. Okay. I've always felt like singing, I've felt very connected to singing and like the whatever spirit is in me that needs to come out musically comes out. very easily and uh, naturally singing. And it's Mm. always been harder for me to play instruments. There's some of that fairy speak we were talking about at the beginning of the interview. I love it. (laughs) All right. Uh, I love talking about summer camp, so let's do it. You attended many fiddle camps as a learner and as an instructor. What are those camps like for you, and how have they impacted your sense of community? Mm. I went to my first camp when I was 13 and it completely changed my life. I 
totally fell in love with the community and the experience. It was so full of magic. And granted, it was also in Big Sur, which is one of the most magical places on this earth. Oh, hell yeah. <laughs> full a lot of, of fairies. A lot of fairies there. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> um, and I, yeah, I had been going to public school I went to private school. I was in the middle of my one year at private school and I went to fiddle camp and I just, I came back from fiddle camp and was like, parents, I'm quitting school and I'm going to fiddle camp all the time. <laughs> and it took them a while to come around, but they did eventually. And I ended up homeschooling so I could go to fiddle camp all the time. Wow. Yeah. Wait, what did that look like? It looked like a lot of time in between camps uh, being kind of lonely and working on whatever I was doing for school, mm. which there was still a fair amount of work, but it wasn't. It was pretty like pleasant work. I got to write poetry instead of essays and kind of just plow through math books on my own and not worry mm. about the what pace everybody else was going at. And then I would go off with my friends that ran the camps. Um, they would come pick me up and we, I'd like go on tours with them sometimes. And I would go off to Mount Shasta for a couple weeks and swim in lakes and play music and be a part of this crazy community. And I, yeah, I made kind of my first lasting best friend at those camps and we're still really close mm. we played music together and i would go to visit her in mount shasta and it was it was great that's awesome but we used to write letters to each other we used to write like 20 page letters <laughs> like handwrite letters yeah 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 man summer camp so great uh okay so in eighth grade you stopped going to public school so you could pursue music and we just talked about you were homeschooled uh -huh. you attended the new england conservatory of music in boston and we just talked to sarah Jaros, who also went there uh -huh. and she told us that nec would sometimes stand for not exactly college you ever heard, have you heard that I've one? never heard that one no all no. right uh you are studying contemporary improvisation at NEC, and I read that you graduated when you were 19. I did, yeah. How did, how did you do that? <laughs> how? How? I left high what? school. I, well, my birthday is in August, um, and I was already a little young. Like, I would turn the age everyone else was turning just after the school year as opposed to before it. Um, and I managed to get through my high school requirements a year early so I could go off to college. So I left for college at just barely 17. And then I did a three-year program at NEC. Um, okay. Where I got to choose. I didn't uh, care as much about getting a degree as taking the classes I really wanted to take and so I decided to get a diploma instead um, which meant that I basically just got to fill my credits with whatever I wanted mm. and that was awesome so I turned 20 a couple months after I graduated 
Okay. All right, cool. Wow, you're like the Doogie Hauser almost of NEC. <laughs> almost. Almost. Doogie Hauser was 16 when he oh, became a doctor, wow. is that right? Yeah, okay. So that's young. You're so close. I'm so close. Being the Doogie. Okay, so you have moved around quite a bit. After you lived in Boston at NEC, you briefly were in New York City. Not as great as you'd hoped it would be. You <laughs> went to Nashville, where it sounds like you had a great time. And now you're living in Lafayette, Louisiana. Mm-hmm. How has each move felt to you? And how do you see these moves impacting you as a musician? Wow. I think... When I left NEC, I was, I I got really into jazz when I was at NEC, and I, I think I moved to New York partially thinking that I was going to pursue that, and that just really didn't end up happening at all, and I ended up there. Granted, the pandemic happened, maybe a year into being there. Or a little more. Oh, so rough. I only had a year there where it was like normal New York, and I was just starting to figure stuff out. And then the pandemic happened, which weirdly, I actually totally fell in love with the city during the pandemic because it was all empty and there was mm. nothing to do. And I just rode my bike around and hung out with my friends wearing masks outside on the pier and on the beach. And that was, I mean, that particular aspect of that period of time was great. I totally fell in love with New York City, but it was so overwhelming when things started up again to be in the midst of that much energy and having gone through this kind of like traumatic pandemic experience there mm -hmm. that I just couldn't do it. It was like somebody turned the fire hose on full blast. Exactly. It was not. I went to California for six months during the winter just to be around my family mm -hmm. and have some time off. And when I came back, it was like I, I was like crying every day just from like leaving the house and freaking out. And I don't know. I couldn't figure out what was going on, but I couldn't stay. And... Uh, somebody just offered me a place to live in Nashville. I went there to visit for my birthday and somebody, a friend of mine was like, hey, my neighbors are, they need a roommate and you should move in. And I was like, wow. And I went to see it the next day and they sent me a text and were like, hey, we want you to move in after meeting me. And I was like, okay, I'm moving to Nashville. All right. And it was great. The first six months of being there, I had so much fun. It was all my best friends from fiddle camp were there and was living next to my store to my friends. But then I realized at some point that being that much in the music industry as a songwriter, it felt really like soul crushing to me. Mm. It didn't feel like I could work enough. I couldn't make any money working at music there for one thing. And for two, I I just couldn't deal with the way that they think about songwriters. And hmm. it kind of hit me six months in and it took me another six months to be like, all right, 
I really can't be here. And then someone offered me a place to live in Lafayette for free. So I was already going to move here. And when my friends said I could live in their house for free for a couple of months, I was like, well, I can't say no. Like, I have to right. do that. <laughs> and I would say this move is probably has been and is going to be the most musically influential. Like, just being in a culture with so much vibrance and having dance be such a big part of the music, mm -hmm. I think it's already gotten in me. Like, I knew it would. And it's also fun because everybody here plays accordion. It's, like, normal to play the accordion. That's great. Which is not true anywhere else in the U.S. Except maybe, uh, yeah, I guess I was going to say, like, Poland, but that's not in the United States. <laughs> no, it's not. Yeah, there might be somewhere else no. somewhere that that's normal, but well, Boston Boston has a Celtic music festival. I don't know how many uh, accordion Celtic accordion players there are. I don't know either. I know there's I'm, some. I'm gonna work on uh, getting you and my dad together. I'll have to send you some videos of his accordion playing. Yeah, He's wild. you should send it to me. 81 years old. That's amazing. Yeah. Okay. Here's some questions about your philosophies. So I was reading about you were talking about the feeling of writing songs and you say writing songs is like therapy to you and I read that when you write a song you might cry a lot or you say sometimes I feel elated and then I listen to it on repeat until the feeling ebbs enough to write a new one mm -hmm. so that reminds me of something that I do when I create something like the reveling of just like looking at it again watching it again listening to it again uh -huh. Why do you think you do that, like sit with your new creation and you can you go into how that reveling makes you feel? I have never been able to explain why I do that. I think a lot of musicians don't like listening to themselves over and over and I don't know what's wrong with me. <laughs> I feel like it. <laughs> I don't have that. I mean... Maybe with the new record, like having listened to mixes over and over again starts to drive me a little crazy. But when it comes to writing a new song, like I can't listen to anything else. I just like nothing in me wants to listen to other music. I want to listen to that song on repeat. And uh, it's a crazy euphoric experience. Like I'll put it on in the car and just like be thrilled by this like feeling of a new creation and it's really hard to explain it's magic I don't understand it because it goes away at some point and it's not the same even if it's the same recording it doesn't hit me the same way it just makes so much sense to me to hear you talk like that because like I remember being in college and like making a radio promo like a 30 second radio promo and like Back in the early 2000s, if you wanted to listen to something at home, you had to burn it on a CD. So I put it in my like six CD changer and just kept like hitting like the back button to listen to this like 30 second thing over and over and mm. again just to to just to sort of like bask in it. Yeah. And it feels like almost like you're like, what am I doing? I'm an egotistical monster. But I think it's so normal. Totally. That is how it feels. <laughs> I feel like I've heard painters talk about, like, it's not quite the same because you're looking at it as opposed to listening to it, but, like, if a painting isn't totally finished, like, just, like, not being able to think about anything else. 
and mm. continually going back and just like looking at it and like living in it until they find the last ingredient. Mm-hmm. I'm not sure if that's exactly the same thing, but it feels similar. Yeah. It feels like it's it lives in the same realm for sure. Mm-hmm. Um, in thinking of music as communication, um, you were alluding to this a little bit earlier, but you have said singing songs is my way of communicating with the world, which is so true, um, but not something that like has, you know, might occur to people that music is communication. How did you learn that about music? And then how did that change your approach once you realize like, oh, this is communication? I feel like that's something I've always known, but I don't know how I know it. Probably music camp made a pretty big difference to that. The people that ran these camps in California were very thoughtful about how they curated things and um, very into having like five hour discussions over like whatever, like midnight ice cream or something about like music and what it means and like what its purpose is and all this stuff. And uh, it just it has always felt to me like a language it's like its own language it's like french or spanish i don't know it it's like its own like you can say like (laughs) how's it going but in music i don't know how it would sound but it it's Mm. interesting it's not it doesn't obviously quite translate it's like the ways that like different languages don't totally translate but it's its own way of communicating and it it's i mean it's crazy i still don't understand how how music even just a melody without any lyrics can just like Mm. completely change your life yeah and there's also that discussion of like if you listen to music in a language you don't understand you can still feel the Mm -hmm. emotion yeah behind it yeah maybe that i mean it's possible that having Indian music as part of my upbringing made a difference to how I understood music Mm -hmm. because I certainly don't speak the language that they're singing in but it is so it feels like that album in particular feels like so meaningful to me and melodically it's so has been so important to my musical journey the new album is a little longer and you started working on this record in 2019 or even like before that it's it sounds like it's been a long time coming it has definitely yeah so i have a a strange question because i listen to this album and it feels romantic to me like Uh in you know uh, in so many ways and i hear that you are a romance fan romance novels and rom-coms and all that how do you hear romance in your new album oh my god i mean Every song on it is a song of romance, for sure. I don't think... (laughs) I only recently started writing songs about other things. Uh, I think there were years where that was the only thing I wrote about. Mm. Um, Heartbreak and falling in love and all all of the ins and outs. I mean, I think I probably had my first crush in third grade, maybe? Fourth grade? at the latest actually I remember it was fourth grade and I just haven't stopped I haven't stopped since 
definitely have been obsessing over romantic comedies since I was eight. What's your go-to? I would say my favorite is probably When Harry Met Sally. Nice one. <laughs> okay, so a couple things about this. I was on um, a first date with someone, and I was like, what's your favorite movie? And she was like, Notting Hill. Oh. And I was like, oh, all right. And then years later, I married her. Wow. <laughs> That's crazy. <laughs> it was my wife. Spoiler alert. It was it was funny. And then, uh, yeah, she was like, you know, it was like a couple of months later. She's like, I don't know why I said that. But now we have like a thing about Notting Hill. We went to we went to England and we went to London to visit. And I was like, we are going on a guided walking tour of Notting Hill. And it was oh, my awesome. God. Another, That's amazing. Another thing about listening to you talk about romance and romantic songs. I remember when I was a little kid, I thought all songs were like love songs. I did not realize that you could write about anything other than love songs. I think I probably was the same way. So these songs were written when you lived in Boston and New York, and you say they hold a very special place in your heart. And since you've been working on them for so long, what's it been like to be able to have so many years with these songs before they were released? And do they feel different now that the album is out? It's a weird experience It for it to have taken so long. I'm at a point where these songs I was writing... Uh, quite a few of them in college all of them before the pandemic so it's like a different world I don't know who I was before the mm. pandemic at this point it seems like uh, another universe and I am so I mean I didn't play shows for the majority of that those few years so it was like I was writing all these songs uh, in the meantime and when I started playing again, I wasn't really playing the old songs. And the few shows that I've played where I've actually played the record is a very weird experience. It feels like I'm like 17-year-old me. Mm. Or I'm like me now, like going back into my old zone and like re reimagining these like feelings that I had that were so intense I had to write songs about them mm. and all these love affairs that that created the songs does it feel positive or negative I wish I didn't feel so much pressure to play the songs now mm -hmm. because uh playing them doesn't have the same magic for me that it did and it feels weird and like not totally right to play them now but it also, or at least to play them by myself, I think playing them with a band, because the record is with a band, it feels, well, partially because of that, but it feels like kind of a new way of existing in the songs. And I think that helps a lot. Mm. And it's kind of like I'm able to be myself now and sing those songs if I have a band. But just myself, it's like yeah. too... It's too much going into the past or something. 
That's hard because when you have a band and you feel like yourself, then you don't talk to the audience. I know. What a conundrum. It's kind of a conundrum. <laughs> I, yeah, I've kind of been, that part of it is a bit of a struggle. But I would also say that I'm happy like to find that I still love the record, like even after listening to it a million times to get it to the finished product. I still love it and am so proud of it and like am so happy that it's out and people are listening to it. It feels insane. It feels like this. It's like, wait, what? It's like people are listening that to my record? Like what? Isn't it like still a secret? It's not. Everyone knows. Everyone knows. It's not and a if secret. If they don't know, they will. It's not it's a true. secret. Okay. I have a couple questions about intuition. Um, you are someone who listens and follows your gut. Mm-hmm. How did you learn to do that? I think my mom played a very big part in that. Uh, there were a lot of times when I was growing up when there were kind of two options and one of them was like, go with what other people want and go along, go with the flow. And the other one was listen to my gut and do what I need to do for myself. And my mom was always a very avid and strong supporter of doing the latter. Hmm. I think it really, like, it made a huge difference. Um, How do you stay true to your instincts when it might mean missing out on something major for your career? Mm, It's a great question. I don't know the answer. I (laughs) Honestly, I'm quite afraid of... The possibility that opportunities will come up and I'm going to have to make a decision between my career taking off or going with what I want. Mm. I have always been afraid that that would happen and that somehow I would be lost at the time and I would decide to take the career path over what I want and that it would ultimately destroy me. Uh And I don't think it's as dramatic as that, probably, in reality. I think it would probably be okay, whichever way I went. But um, Mm. I've always felt very kind of attached to uh, going for what I want over going for what feel like big career moves. Mm. I like that for you. I like that Thank for you. me too. Yeah. I kind of like, like that everyone. for everyone. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Okay. One more question and then we're going to do the lightning round. All righty. Okay. Here's here's the question. What is doodle? Oh, what is doodle? Doodle is my childhood nickname. Uh, that's all there is to it. <laughs> How did you get this name? I don't know. My mom called me that. Uh, when I was really little, I think she called me Dewey, and I'm not sure if it was short for Doodle or if it was just a prior name to Doodle, but I have been Doodle for so long, and I, if you say, hey, Doodle, I will respond. It's automatic. It's not a, it's not a choice. Is it like a public nickname? Do people... (laughs) call you that (laughs) not really but occasionally somebody catches on and starts calling me that and it's a little bit odd i feel a little bit like wait 
Like, I don't know you well enough for you to call me that. Like, you have to wait till you uh, like, gain my trust. All right. I'm going to call you Doodle until you tell okay. me not to. Okay. You can all right. call me Doodle. Okay, Doodle. Yes. Yes. I'm in. <laughs> Do people call you Doodle Levy? Uh, like my ha- Instagram handle? No. But I don't think I would be averse to it if somebody chose to call me Doodle Levy. Okay. I just want to get the facts straight. Yeah, of course. Doodle Levy. Smooshed together. Yeah. Okay, let's do the lightning round. Here we go. What is your favorite California treat? Ooh, like what kind of treat? Snack. Snack. Okay. Um, Clams, maybe? All right. What is a dance you feel confident performing? Not on stage, but at like a fun dance event. Uh, probably Cajun dancing, I guess. Fun. Yeah. What instrument do you write songs with? Mostly guitar. Who is your guitar hero? Mm. Joni Mitchell is a big one, although she plays a lot of dulcimer. Um, and Paul Simon probably is another big one. Nice. Who is your accordion hero? I don't have one. I don't know. I've never had a solution to that to accordion hero oh man never figured it out well here's the next one what is a recent purchase you are very excited about uh i just got a new bed i've never bought a new bed in my life (gasps) whoa yeah that is huge it's huge congrats thank you (laughs) this is the last question what is your dream vacation Mm, probably to go to an island in Greece where there are sheep cottages and I can have a cottage and be on the beach and there are not a lot of people <laughs> and I can eat good food. That sounds great. Let's go. Yeah, let's yes. go. Yes, let's go. Elise Levy, thank you so much for being on Basic Folk. New album, A Little Longer, is out now. I love it so much. It's been so fun talking to you. Thanks for coming on. Yay. Thanks for having me. This has been so fun. This episode of Basic Folk was produced by Sarah Wardrop. Our music composed by Alex Stanton. Basic Folk is on the Bluegrass Situation Podcast Network. You can find all of our episodes there, wherever you listen to podcasts. You can search for Basic Folk on the SiriusXM app, or you can check out our website, basicfolk.com If you would be so kind as to share this episode with a friend, perhaps a friend that had several copies of Brian Froud fairy books growing up and would draw different types of elves and gnomes and fairies and all sorts of magical creatures in their high school notebook If you want to send that episode to that friend of yours, because it's probably been a while since you've talked to them, I think they would really love it and be a huge fan of Elise's music. And we thank you so much. Thanks for listening all the way to the end. It's remarkable that you have listened to this podcast until its conclusion. We will talk to you next time. Thank you again for checking it out. Okay. Bye.